Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess... Is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about. time for Mortgage Matters. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Some folks sticking around from Motor Mouths. Got the the new host on there, Jason. Yeah, he's Motor Mouths 2.0. I think it's confusing that there's another Jason now. <laughs> Jason, Jason, and Jason. Yeah, wow. Because sometimes there's the some there's a conceivable thing that we could have three Jasons on a Saturday morning. Well, I haven't met him yet, but he's super cool, right? Yeah. Yeah, Jasons always are. Yeah. <laughs> Just ask a person named Jason. <laughs> right. Right. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, right. Those Dan's and Jim's can be kind of flaky sometimes, mm-hmm. but... No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Just usually when somebody says, yeah, his name's Jason, you, know, you get a good good sense of what kind of guy that is. You're not that bad a guy, yeah. are you? Good guys. Yeah. Over the holidays, I was hanging out with my, uh, my cousin, and his wife was just kind of venting a little bit about her older sister and the relationship they have. And I learned during this conversation that everyone born in 1978 has a stick up there. You know what? Okay. It's like, Oh, well that's lovely to know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> More coffee, dear. Yeah. <laughs> Boy. <clears throat> just kind of reminded me of that. How old is she? She's like two years younger. Oh, no, yeah. four years younger. Or something yeah, like yeah, that. I see. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty wide net to throw. But it's funny. <laughs> then I started thinking about everyone that, you know, is in my, it's my same age. I started thinking about myself. Am I? Am I like, I guess I'm kind of, I'm pretty serious and kind of like, I don't know. What you like? Is that, that, is that an appropriate description? <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah, I don't think so. No, I doubt. I mean, is like there something <laughs> in the water that year. Something and in the world. I think people, <laughs> people by and large, are doing different things at different times. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, if mm-hmm. I'm pretty good at math, if you were born in '78, you're about forty. Yeah, uh, at forty, you're, those are the business years of life, man. She didn't make it sound like this is a recent change. <laughs> oh, it's a <laughs> this throughout is a lifelong. <laughs> so even so, even when you were eighteen, uh-huh. you were like unpleasant and unlikable. If that's your just your generation, <laughs> yeah. I guess I, I don't, don't think so. Yeah, maybe that's your, wild. Maybe, maybe your theory is correct, Dan. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. Is she like happy and? Um... Yeah, she's really funny and yeah, pretty. Uh... Yeah, pretty interesting. Carefree, because I would think if you're willing to label like an entire um, generation worth of people <laughs> as like prudes or whatever, that you would um, generally be putting up a lot of walls around you and <laughs> just keeping people at bay. It was pretty funny. Interesting, <laughs> huh? 
I'll have to keep an eye out. <laughs> yeah, I'll have right. to keep an eye out. Um, Love those generalizations. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Weird. Wow. Yeah, so uh, another week <laughs> down. We're here. We're live. It's the 12th already. I know. Can you believe it's already 12 days into the new year? Yeah. 12 days into 2019. Before you know it, it'll be 2020. Yeah. It's crazy. You're already, he's already getting out the, the Christmas decorations. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> They're down. That's a, you know? that's a ways away, Jim. No. <laughs> Not me, saying. man. There's a lot, lot of ground to cover between now and, and next 20, year. But 2020. Yeah. It's, uh, it's already underway. This is, this is a good week in my house. The kids are back in school. Things are starting to like, you know, normalize a little bit, get back into the, the routines of life that make it, um, easier Mm -hmm. those breaks are nice but they're also um kind of chaos everything's upended you know you no one's going to bed at the right time or waking up at the right time and that i really wrestle with in my house if i'm being honest um it just seems too like the kids get longer breaks for some reason. When now that I'm like Uh, a grumpy dad of teenagers did you like uh when you were a kid did your dad like, my dad took serious issue if we were asleep. Uh, uh, like, say it's my like dad was break. Like a passive-aggressive, like, waker-upper. Oh, not he, mine. <laughs> he was like a, a heel stomper around the house. Oh, like, yeah? Just, I, I don't know if he had something to do, but there was, like, laps being done outside of my bedroom. But, yeah, but picture <laughs> my dad would just come in and, like, rip some blankets off you and tell you to quit being a bum and go do something. Uh, but picture... You know, like a a winter break type of setup where you're you've eased up into the middle of it, and you're probably staying up late, and you're getting up early, and you know, seeing some cousins, whatever. Um, you might get into the habit of going to bed pretty late, and so now all of a sudden you're sleeping, right? Sleeping in late. Um, I think around my house it was like. Um, I, as a kid, I, I feel like if you were in bed past nine, you're probably putting your safety at risk. <laughs> um, but so anyways, during break, like my kids are, and it's mostly the boys, right? My two high schoolers, but they're like, I like look down and it's like 930. I'm like these dudes are still asleep. That's pretty normal. I then slept in. Then it's yeah, 10. Late. Yeah, then it's 1030. Yeah. And then you're yeah, like, it's, it's 11 get, o'clock it's, now. It's time you're not up. sleeping yeah. until noon. So I I just try to... <laughs> <laughs> Glad I didn't grow up in your house. What? <laughs> There's definitely some post-noon wake-ups in my, oh. in my high school days. No, I don't. <laughs> and I feel like... Um, if you're doing that, it's because you're all messed up. Because you, you stayed, stayed up, up late. late. Yeah. So you need to go to bed earlier. Yeah. Anyway. I think it's kind of normal. You do? Yeah. So you it's would just normal. be okay with it? No, I'm not saying know. I'm okay with I it. I think it's part that. of the traditions of generations where you just, you, you're you the parent now and you yeah. get to be the you one who gets to ruin people's the sleep. <laughs> sleep enjoyment. Yeah, yeah, I get to go in there and be like, get up now. But it's their time. You know, as a kid, I got really good at sleeping through a lawnmower. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> Our dad's now. I don't who was that? running the lawnmower? <laughs> oh, my dad. What kind not of inside. Did not you inside, have? Outside. Oh, Dan, seriously? <laughs> Oh yeah, 
know. I had to run the laundry. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, it sounds like Dan had some kind of Roomba for the front yard. <laughs> I was the lawnmower. Well, I uh, was the remote control. I, I grew up in two households. So I was, was the a, bartender. There's a, a different dynamic going on. People, yeah. yeah, they had some stuff to take care of too. Yeah, I yeah. I see. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> that, that's fun. So yeah, anyhow. My point is really, though, is that I also kind of want to balance that and be reasonable, right? It's a break. Those dudes do a lot of work. It's hard work. It's a lot going on. And now you have a break and you can sleep a little bit. I remember being a teenager when you could sleep a lot, right? You could oh, you go for a 12-hour run at times. So much growing. sleep so much. Yeah. And so I want to be somewhat you know, acceptable to it. But like seeing these like man children lumber out of their room at not at like noon going, Oh, what's to eat? You know, you gotta have fun with it, you know, (laughs) throw their, their lifeless hand into a warm cup of water or do something. (laughs) (laughs) Then you can make fun of them for wetting the bed. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, new elementary school dad alert here. I got the school newsletter with all the upcoming days off. There's a run coming up here starting on the 21st of four Mondays out of the next seven that are off. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I, it <laughs> seems to me, I know. It seems to me like teacher, like more. teacher in well, service days or they oh, get a couple holidays. MLK, Lincoln, they separate. They have Lincoln's uh, birthday and then President's Day um, and then uh, and then a teacher work day. Four out of seven Mondays off oh. of school. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when we when we lived in um Los Osos, which is now like I don't know, six or seven years ago, they had they had late start Mondays. We have that. You yeah. do? It's super inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> you have so twenty percent of my week on Monday, I have to like Figure out how to be able to handle all this stuff an hour after the normal time. It would make a lot of sense if we had late start work, yeah. but we don't. We don't have late start work. <laughs> so why do we have late start Monday for the school? It doesn't. It. Are I don't understand the logic. Behind on the it. other end of it, too, there's half days. Like, yeah, there's uh, some half days. Now, and, if well, you, one of your employees came in and said, "Dan, can I just work a half day today?" <laughs> Well, the, the, late like, late you know, start Monday is not yeah, even a good name yeah, either. Yeah. What does that even mean? Like, are we just conditioning everyone in this community to believe that hey, you know, Mondays are tough. Take an extra hour, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't quite understand it. In fact, it's like, um, you know, we have a puppy in the house right now, and one of the things I know from fostering young things into adulthood here is that um, consistency is key. Mm-hmm. So how about just get to even Mondays are hard and stuff, but even just still get there on time like you're expected to every weekday. Well, we have this issue in our house. I mean, everyone's up and awake just like every other weekday. Yeah. And so then we're just we're all just like sitting around for an hour going well, like we're waiting. No. We'll just <laughs> 50 more minutes. Just keep keep doing whatever you're doing. Do you know what the point is? No. I don't know if it's for the students or for the teachers. Interesting. But, yeah, it's it doesn't it's make any sense. It's not just your school district either. So. No. I've I've heard that it's... Well, we don't have that in Atascadero. Oh. So I assumed it was just a coastal thing, but maybe. maybe it's all over. I don't know. Yeah. I don't understand it. 
the uh, we could talk about the market a little bit. I'm sure you're excited for that. Always. The Dow Jones Industrial Average finished yesterday just shy of 24 grand. Mm. Um, you know that the Dow has gone up um, over 2,000 points since Christmas Eve? I'm really happy about that because last week I shared the whole uh, IRA movement. We <laughs> looked you. into some investment <laughs> accounts and. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, not only did I see it last week, but after the show, after realizing it, I realized I, my account went down in value more than I put into it in the year. Yeah. That's, and so that didn't feel great. So right. I'm happy to see that things are uh, turning back around. Turning back around. Yeah. I saw this, um, this article. So I was leafing through the Facey book. Uh, and I come across this, um, this article that is tied to the wall street journal. Um, I don't buy the wall street journal. I'm sure you don't either. The wall street journal is kind of obnoxious. Um, when you don't subscribe, because if you see a headline you like, they'll let you read the first paragraph and then the page has the, you won't read anymore. Um, so anyways, I clicked the thing because the um I thought that the article itself would be really interesting. And then as soon as it started to say Wall Street Journal, I'm like, "Oh, that's that's a bummer. I'm not going to be able to finish it." But I could. So on Facebook, it let me go all the way. I go I went all the way. Oh, nice. Um so this article was predicting the next bear market. The ra- the bummer radio part is um, the f- the rest of the title is predicting the next bear market in six charts. So uh, obviously we can't do charts on the radio. Mm-hmm. But a um, couple things from this article that I thought I'd share with you guys that was um, pretty cool. Nine years, ten months, five days. Um, so this is published a, a month or so ago into the current bull market. Some invest some investors are asking whether there's a bottom. Um, the S and P up two hundred and eighty four percent since the bull market began in '09, and that's interesting, right? Because we know there was a crash, so it got the benefit of starting out, you know, so low. But that's a pretty solid little run, right? Almost a three hundred percent increase. Um, and so this article goes on to say that, you know, there's not any single um, indicator that predicts the recession or the bear market, but that they're, um, uh, they're, they're kind of always there. And they may even be more evident in, in retrospect as you kind of are able to go back and really benefit, right? Um, and so the charts, I'll tell you, um, since I'm not going to be able to tell you about the charts or show you the charts, obviously, on the radio, but just think of that heart rate monitor, right? you got little ups and downs, but then you have a, a up that you clearly can see and then a down that you clearly can see. Um, that's really what these charts look like, though they're moving in one direction or another. There's these clear spikes on them. And the first one talks about high-yield bond spreads. And so of the six indicators, one of them is the yield of um, high-yield bond spreads. And basically saying is that the measure of what riskier companies may borrow at as compared to what the government is borrowing at, right? 
or what the government is paying, sorry. So in other words, if you're a riskier company, what's your interest rate to borrow versus what the government is paying out for bonds? And um, basically the bottom line is that when the spreads are really tight, the idea is that even the weakest company, the riskiest company, um, might be on pretty firm footing because that idea that the the rising tide lifts all boats, right? So that spread being super tight seems to mean that there's some forward-looking confidence. And as that spread widens, that you start to venture into this era that begins to predict um, that bear market. And so we're seeing that now. Um, and I would suggest this is a you know an interesting time to just kind of draw some of the parallels of what we're seeing in the mortgage market today in the housing market is people start um, at least picking their head up and looking around going man is this is this environment tight you know is it, it's expensive should we be in this is is it a good time to invest and same thing for business right um, everyone's been enjoying cloud nine for a while so are these risky businesses still a safe bet? And the answer is um, we're beginning to see that they're at least being questioned, which lands as um, one of the first things to watch. The second thing has to do with yield curve steepness. Um, it has to do with the interest rates being paid on the debt of various maturities. This happens where... Um, you know, and this some of the stuff has to do with the inversion talk where short and long term bond yields seem to swap. That one, I think, is is kind of a much talked about concept and I don't want to spend very much time there. The third point is deal activity. This is a really interesting one. One of the things that they track is the total dollar volume um, that happens in mergers and acquisitions. So when the economy's storming along and everybody's doing really good, you see mergers and acquisitions and you see them at high values. Um, and that basically, that's a signal, um, basically that pickup in that merger and acquisition activity is a signal that the you may be drawing in um, to the bull market. And so um, they track that volume by billions and you can clearly see peaks in 98, 07, um, and then sort of getting peaky again right now. Lots of money going into mergers and acquisitions. Um, and so history's taught us that that also is an interesting mm. um, spot to predict the end of a bear market. Bull I'm market. sorry, a bull market. Um, this one is well... Um, well, we talk about it. Number four on their chart is weekly jobless claims. And obviously, this one's attempting to predict the change in employment, which is going to start first with as things change, more people will get laid off or lose their jobs. Um, and then obviously, the trickle down from there is that that means that if businesses are laying off and then not rehiring that position or firing and not rehiring that position, then their spending will decline. Likewise, consumer spending throughout that cycle begins to decline, again, signaling the end or the change to that market. Um, this one feels like it's not even on the radar, right? right. I mean, I weekly mean, jobless claims are so so low um, that this is one of the six charts that you could argue that if it takes all six to line up, we might still be a ways away. The job market, very strong. We see no inkling of suggestion that weekly jobless claims are backing this stat. So 
Um, but it's on the list nonetheless. Investor sentiment. I really like this one. Um, this one is basically just about that sentiment. And one of the things that um, I started to think about here is that sentiment is sort of like um, the crowdsourcing of what's happening with the or crowdfunding of what's happening within the markets, right? What's the overall sentiment? And that begins to shape the overall activity, which then shapes the actual market itself. Um, so anyway, when investors get too optimistic, they run down savings and overspend. Um, and we see this is that just before the bubble burst, there's lots of sell-offs happening in the stock market. And, um, you know, the bottom line is, is that you'll, you'll start to see that, that move, that, that is that idea that the optimism or lack thereof is also one of the big factors of what pulls us from the other. And I think we've been seeing that for the last six months. I've been at least feeling enough people talk about it that, well, we know that sentiment's in the room. And maybe not everybody's subscribed to it yet, but it's showing up in a way um, that it definitely wasn't before. Um, and then lastly, we've got... Um, just the it kind of ties into it the same, but this one is looking at predictions of the bear market through options expiring in the next six months. So market positions in the market that would show any decline that there um, a probability of a decline of twenty percent or more, and when those um, you can tell by the positions held from some of those futures options what the overall investment climate is. And again, it's it's kind of that crowdsourcing sort of phenomenon, right? When you see people moving from that position, you're starting to change the overall sentiment, which is going to change the very activity itself. So um, anyways, this was a great read. It sounds I, like some of those indicators point to the end of the bull market and others not so much. Yeah, some of them feel like they're right, just um, the soothsayer of what's about to happen. And then some of them feel like they're... Um, you know, we're just not seeing that now. Yeah. We've got a caller on the line. We've got Mike calling in from Morro Bay. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Good morning to both of you folks. Good morning. And um, my question was... Mike, please turn down your radio really quick. It's uh, feeding back on us. The question was on marijuana stocks. I mean, it's one thing just starting out right now, and the stocks are really low, and they keep offering to you on your phone, epic <laughs> stocks, and... If you guys did any research on it, I'm just thinking for the grandkids, you know, if you just went and bought some stock and then <laughs> 10 years later, you're really happy you did. Um, this is like something that's going to. It's a great question. Totally. Um, Mike, we'll let you off the phone and then we'll talk about weed for a while. <laughs> um, in fact, let's do a commercial break here because we're hitting the that middle of the hour. Hemp and the products of hemp. Yeah. And if we. I totally. mean, it just seems like we could replace a lot of things with those products. Yep. All right, cool. Mike, thanks for the phone call. Um, yeah, let's do a commercial break. We come back, we can talk about um, cannabis investments. There's still some lending stuff to talk about there. Um, as some people are beginning to find part of their income based on <laughs> cannabis. So we can we can talk about that. We can talk about hemp stocks. I'll tell you guys about some trade I identified that I thought was a no-brainer and lost a bunch of money. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, let's do a, a quick commercial break here, take some time out to thank the sponsors, and we'll be back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. 
Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. We are using low down payment programs and down payment assistance programs to help folks just like you buy their first home. You may not need to save and wait as long as you think. Are you ready to explore home ownership? Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California DBO number 605-4783. NMLS number 328-358. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. We believe that cell phone apps are great for some things and wrong for others. When it comes to something as significant as a mortgage, use our team of mortgage experts. Leave the apps for ordering pizza, not for buying a home. Use your phone for its original purpose and give us a call today. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California DBO number 605-473. NMLS number 328-358. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. play this song in the band yeah do you really yeah this is a great song mary jane's last dance man is this song really about weed though uh i mean i understand that mary jane is a nickname i don't know i just kind of wondered what it was about last dance with mary jane the 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 video is kind of morbid here. He's in a he's in a mortuary, huh? 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think it probably is somehow. I think it's just a goodbye love song. Yeah. I think he just loves somebody and is moving on. Yeah. So before the break, we had a call from Mike. Yes, Mike. And he wanted, you know, started the discussion about investments. um, So trying to get on the forefront, specifically the cannabis area. So first, first. We are not investment people. No, we're we possess people. <laughs> zero licensing. Um, I'll even go so far as to say zero experience. Um, zero skill? Zero skill. <laughs> zero intuition when zero, it comes to stock picking. Dan, would you say zero luck? <laughs> um, y- Couple yes. Couple lucky shots. We're, I think the luck is best when, there's, when it's followed by inaction. Like when you say, hey, dude, we should put money into Netflix. And I'm like, yeah, sure, maybe tomorrow. Yeah. And then Netflix, like, 10 years later is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, totally. <laughs> and also, I'd just venture to say, too, if you're describing the luck that we've had with stock picking or otherwise, <clears throat> um, it'd probably also be best to precede the word luck with the word dumb. <laughs> um, that sometimes, you know, like my dad would say, well, Brock, a, a broke clock is, worth, uh, is right twice a day. Mm-hmm. So... Um, anyhow, there you go. We are not stock people. This is really not an investment show unless we're talking real estate type of investments. Um, I'm in no way qualified to tell you, uh, what you, um, should be investing in to make money. Uh, that being said, I, so I was telling you about that wall street journal thing that I'm reading this morning. Mm Um, I had a weed thing pop up on my computer. Um, and I don't look at weed stuff, right? I don't, I don't care about that. It's not even on my radar, but there's an ad in there about, Hey, buy this cannabis stock. And then on on the other part, lower in the article, it was like, Hey, make this investment in this hemp company. Um, and I was just kind of shocked because it was on wall street journal. Not that they probably are perfectly responsible for the content that's advertising on their page, but I don't know. Um, so it's pretty mainstream. It's all around, right? We see this stuff all the time. So, you know, that's why Mike brings it up. You keep seeing it. Is that the next gold rush? Well, it seems like every consumer beauty product and so many food products have CBD in them now. It's this booming industry. Like I know, um, we have, we have some, uh, like hemp lotion at my house mm-hmm. that's was purchased at like you know whatever grocery store. Um, it's obviously not getting anyone high. It's just some alternatively made hemp, probably using the fat from the plant. I don't know. Um, I don't even know if I've tried to be honest with you, but I just saw that it said hemp on it, and it um, just feels like it is. It's in everything. It's everywhere. So. That being said, how do you get in on that? And, um, man, I don't know, Mike. We, um, I, I was reading some investment stuff and checking some things out, and I think it was by way of Motley Fool. You ever look at Motley Fool? I don't, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah, so Motley Fool is pretty cool. They'll let you have a little bit for free. They ultimately want you to subscribe, but um, anyhow, um Landed that looking at this company that had this, uh, they were going to grow hemp 
as part of uh, on American soil as part of government trial. Now, this was several years ago, and they were going to be one of very few that were that were growing with the blessing of the FDA to be able to, um, you know, kind of be the case study. Right. This was the one of the first ones. So this company that was largely uh, a research and development company in the cannabis industry was given the green light to do this thing. So I say, hey, <laughs> you know, what have you heard about hemp? Basically, there's cotton and then there's hemp, right? And hemp is just better in every possible way. It does everything better. It grows faster, thicker, less pesticides, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. everything about it's better, right? And I mean, I'm kind of rolling my eyes a little bit because um, obviously that's the that's what we're hearing, but may or may not be true. Um, so anyways, I'm thinking, hey, if this is true, they're going to get to the end of growing out this, I don't know, it was 180 acres or something. They're going to grow out this 180 acres of hemp under FDA supervision, and they're going to see that, duh, you should be doing this instead of cotton. And this company's stock is going to explode, right? So we bought their stock and was reminded once again now why the people that I know that do investments for a living say you probably shouldn't be picking a stock that way. Um, So I don't know. My point there is that I, too, feel like we're being bombarded with it in the market as investment opportunities. I, too, think that there probably is some money to be made there. But it's so early on that, you know, there's all these companies and and opportunities flooding the market and available to the investor that not all of them are going to be successful. No. And in fact, at this early stage, probably the majority majority of them aren't going to be successful. So I would wonder, like, if you contacted um, an investment person. I I bet there's like a a cannabis index that you could purchase that might be a better option or something like that. That's what I was thinking. But at the same time, I wonder if we're even a little early for that because until the thing gets sorted out federally, how many – they're not going to be able to be putting together securities and really um, making – you know, like you're not going to be able to see at this time one of the – like the – a fund manager at um, Merrill Lynch step forward and say – you know, this cannabis index is comprised of large and small cap cannabis companies. I, that would be great, right? If they were looking at the companies that were um, patenting certain strains for certain ailments in the medical community or certain, you know, farms that were already up and running that were producing hemp or whatever, right? Like, it'd, it'd be great if they could evaluate the company and their earnings and their you know, that kind of thing and put together securities. I even think we're a little bit early for that. So it's probably coming. And so my advice, Mike, I just what I tell myself is most likely you're going to get stung. <laughs> it's too early. There's too many companies. Um, and, and just like any investment, if if a little bit of web research is going to lead you to this is the next great stock pick. The fact that it's out there and being talked about that way is probably already in, influencing or manipulating the value of it, and you're likely to get stung. So I just am... Yeah, Mike did bring up this whole idea of you know picking a stock where there's growth potential and you know like a, 
a buy and hold type of strategy for his children. Yeah. And now is, you know, not talking about any specific stock. I do like that. I approach when it comes to investing. I, I think if you're, if you're trying to be the day trader, that's, that's making money on, on, you know, buy and sell rapid buy and sell of stocks, man, that's a hard game to play. Um, because there's so many people with, with amazing insight into individual companies. And I mean, did you see the fall of, I mean, what were the the couple saw Apple and and uh, Netflix? I think both had big falls right at the end of the year. I mean, that just stung so many people. Yeah, um, and it was very unexpected. So unless you're you're like devoting a lot of time to researching these companies and looking at the the news out of individual companies and the you know the profits and all these things, and you're you're spending a lot of time doing it, it's hard to play that that. Um, you know, quick win type of game where you're buying and selling at a at a rapid pace. But if you're interested, if you have a, a company that you believe in, um, like, you know, something that you personally use on a daily basis, like if it's Amazon or Netflix or, or whatever that, that you really believe in, then I think buying a stock like that and holding it for long term, I think that's a great play. I think yeah. that's something that will pay off. That's, I think as I've, I've never been a big you know, buyer of stocks other than just what I do in my retirement account. Um, but I, I think if I were doing that, that would be my approach would be to, to pick products and companies that you personally believe in and you personally use and think there's future potential with. And that's, that's the approach I would take. Well, and, and, you know, they, they have a saying, what goes up must come down. Sure. So at some point, you know, um, you, you want to diversify. You don't want to have all your stocks exactly. in one I think one if you've got a, a little chunk of money sure. every month to invest, you know, one month invest in stock A. Yeah. And then the next month invest in stock, stock B. B. And yeah. then, you know, diversify. And then maybe you've kind of hit the right. 10 or so stocks that you really believe in. And then maybe you add to some of those holdings mm-hmm. as time goes on. Because not only do you want to diversify what you're investing in, you want to diversify the time that you're investing mm-hmm. so that... You know, you don't just buy all at one time and then have it all come down crashing on you. If, you know, there's yeah. there's a lot of ways you can diversify your investment. Mike, there's an article that you may want to read. It's on Forbes. And um, basically, it's an article featuring this company called uh, Merida, M-E-R-I-D-A. And they're in Manhattan. And this article... Um, in Forbes talks about Merida and the um, cannabis-related companies that they've invested into in the last year and a half. Um, there are 17 companies that they shot $50 million bucks into. Um, so you could run down the list. They're, um, you know, all of them basically featured in there where you could go in and look at the couple of companies, you know, only a few of them are publicly traded, Kushko Holdings and Grow Generation. Um, those guys are publicly traded. And so you could you could look into those things. But that would be my advice is to spend some time, if that's really what you want to do, spend some time um, getting into the research about, um, you know, who are the investors in this company? How are they funded? Who do they owe? What's their profitability? What are they going to be? You know, what's their big thing? What's their most likely, um, 
the most likely path forward if they're just building to sell into Pfizer when it's time or whatever, you know, then you could look around. But, you know, and also clearly not all this money is just straight into, um, you know, cannabis itself, right? There's packaging money. Like Dan said, there's other things that are just some of these products that are beginning to use CBD and other things that are, you know, it seems to be all over the place. There's a, so many different places you could probably get to this. You know, for all we know, there's a company that processes hemp lipids that they sell <laughs> just for, you know, n- uh, non food use. You know, there, there's so I much. I saw a profile on CNBC um, on one of their little half hour programs, kind of after the markets close, of a couple of young guys down in Southern California who got into the cannabis packaging the container cannabis containers and they had that was their whole business was the container side of of cannabis distribution and they were they were multimillionaires for that alone and it was it was amazing to see um you know yeah it doesn't necessarily just have to be the actual cannabis manufacturing or or farming it can be the other um products that are related to it um, kind of, you know, taking that topic, but shifting over to the real estate side, you had, you know, you'd kind of alluded to um, cannabis becoming a mortgage topic as well. And from time to time, we'll have people who have income related to the cannabis industry, and that's can be challenging. Or we'll have people looking to acquire property that yeah, has cannabis growing potential. It's really um, frustrating that so the big rub right now is that you got some state difference with some federal difference, right? In one of the places that this is really evident is that you've got um, trouble banking. Um, because banks are federally regulated for the most part and marijuana is federally prohibited, um, you're not allowed to have a bank account where the primary function of that bank account is marijuana money. You know, you got cannabis money in and out. And I I understand that it's been going on long enough. There's beginning to be some work around. Um, I don't know if this already happened, but I heard Los Angeles was trying to, to bind together to like, like Los Angeles County wanted to come up with their own kind of, charter bank to try to figure out how to be able to to offer accounts to people that have their money from cannabis sources it's probably how that banking transition is going to work you have some private enterprise you know marijuana banking that's yeah. prove that it works prove that it can be legitimate and then eventually the big banks will adopt it or you know acquire it probably yeah so um you know at this point, all banks are subject to federal law, and you know the bottom line is that it makes it difficult for you to be able um, to bank that way. As long as federally cannabis is an illegal Schedule One drug, it just can't be. Um, it can't be banked. It can't be the basis for. Um, loan qualifications from those same financial institutions. So that's what we run into is that um, usually if somebody comes to us that, you know, let's let's give a couple examples here just to sort of make the case. Um, 
unfortunately, let's say you're the guy that grows weed, right? And so you have, I don't know, you have 100 acres of weed growing and you're making tons and tons of money. Um, the next guy, let's use as an example, is your guy that's a packaging guy. Um, probably doesn't ever even touch weed. He's on the computer designing cool packaging that serves its purpose of, you know, whatever it needs to protect, be able to ship, but also be attractive for retail, all these kind of things. This guy does cannabis packaging. Um, in a mortgage transaction, both of those people's incomes um, would be unusable. And that's frustrating, I know, um, especially if it's something that you um, – if you're, it, it gets harder to understand or justify when you're that packaging guy, right? But the problem is, is that, well, what if, okay? And, and this, put my underwriter hat on real quick. Um, what if, what if we had the president with the attorney general and whoever else got involved and really came out, you know, and be this in two years or, or four years or whatever, we never know what's coming in terms of the politics. And they come through and say, this is crazy. And it stops today. The state recreational weed is done. The state medical weed is done. And we are coming through and we're just cleaning you out. We have your records. We're going to seize your assets and we're going to come and slaughter Every one of those businesses that has anything to do with that. Um, is that possible? It's possible. Is it probable? Seems like it's going the other way, but... Feels like it. But at the same time, um, you know, here's here's another decent example just to draw a little bit of a parallel. And I realize I'm about to walk through a minefield here, but President Obama put together a package for what we call the Dreamers, Right. The dreamers being uh, minors that are brought here um, probably against their will. Um, and now they're more or less here um, in, a, in a strange place, right? Their parents brought them to this country. They don't have legal status, but they may be born or not born here, but brought here day old and then raised here, right? Um, like like an American, as an American. And so um, Obama's administration recognizes a gap in that and says, hey, we need to do something about that. So now, you know, we call them dreamers. And for a while there, it seemed really clear that we all, we understand what the dreamers are. And um, and now, um, does that seem super clear? Is there a path forward for the dreamers? Could that all possibly go the other way? Um, yes, it can. And the scary thing is, is that this is just a good example of seeing how politics can shift and, and because they are complicated, right? You got, um, these things are tied together with border security and other, you know, all the other stuff that's in that topic. And that's why in some cases you may lose the baby with the bathwater. The same thing may happen here with cannabis where, if the baby in the bathwater is um, curing epileptic seizures and the bathwater is these like gangster weed dealers that are using guns and crime to peddle weed in an easier environment now, um, you know, that's kind of all 
unfortunately in a package together. And so that, from an underwriting perspective, is the reason why um, if you're in the packaging side of things, we just can't have you being part of an industry that's still recognized as federally illegal and on Schedule 1. So keep your underwriter hat on here. What if the packager, what if the cannabis packaging is only a part of their packaging business and they do packaging for other food products, for other non-food products, just other things that have nothing to do with cannabis? And then I think you Then I think you'd be fine. Um, but look, is your company called Canapac? Right. Um, and unfortunately in this cannabis world, this is how a lot of these guys are naming their thing. And I get it. Why? That's why they do it. Because right? they, they want to be known as the, the expert in that particular type of packaging. Sure. But don't come to me <clears throat> called Canapac and tell me, well, we also do, you know, we package all this other stuff. No, you don't. Your company's called Canapac. Right. Let's be real. Um, now, if your company's called, you know, Pack and Go or something, and you show up and we start looking into it, and it turns out that you do, like we go to your website and you have everything, including some stuff that's sold for, you know, tinctures or whatever it might be related to CBD or something otherwise. I'm not going to take huge issue with that. That's not that big of a deal to me. It's pretty clear to me that you have a business that is serving anybody that needs packaging. You're not just devoted to one particular can of pack, yeah. right? So anyhow, um, Fannie and Freddie Mac disallow the use of cannabis income to qualify. Um, and, you know, and assets for down payment. Yeah, and so... There, the couple of loopholes where you might be able to work is like, let's say that you were part of a, you know, as you know, Dan, we don't get tax returns for somebody that owns less than 25% of a business. Mm-hmm. So if you owned a business and it was less than 25% of your income, wasn't really clear what it was, then we wouldn't get the tax returns. You just have a K-1, probably not a lot of questions asked there. So it's not that having an affiliation is just going to make you ineligible, but if you show up and your job title is like, you know, weed trimmer <laughs> and you make a hundred grand a year trimming <coughs> weed, you're not getting a home loan. Um, at least not a not Fannie Mae, any, Freddie any Mac type. Um, there's probably other options for you. Um, now, what about when we're talking about properties like farm or hobby farm type properties where there's that potential for the property, like the property zoned to be able to grow cannabis? You know, it's funny. We had one recently where the borrower said, hey, um, when the appraiser comes to appraise my house... Uh, the like guest bedroom is kind of being used differently right now. Oh, well, what, what do you like? You got like a music studio in there? Yeah. I've been, yeah, I've been doing this a long time. Something I've been doing this a long time, lights. right? I've seen the, I've seen the second bedroom being used for different things more than once. Um, man. In fact, if I just take an old trip down memory lane, I've seen them looking like a hospital room. Where they make a double wide door to roll in a hospital bed, and they do they take care of somebody in there, and is that a problem? I've seen cat hoarder people that have like oh, all these stray yeah. animals. Yeah, a catterian bedroom too. <laughs> I've seen that. Uh, but so, anyways, it's like, well, uh, what? It, so the appraiser will need to open the door to bedroom two and take a picture. Um, and the guy was like, oh, okay. Um, so how will it? come off when he takes a picture of like a room full of pot oh um like you have 
bright lights and you're growing weed in there and the guy's like totally there's there's pot everywhere huh um and my answer is really like i don't know and is it necessary um uh, do we have to does that have to be that way can you the day the appraiser comes can you like Put your pot like in the garage or something. Like, is there some other place we could store your weed just to not have to do that? You know, because you never know who's the appraiser. How do they feel? Um, and and agree. This is this also is before this last year where I think now everyone's allowed to have weed. Is that right in California? I I don't know. Not positive. I think no. I don't know. I think you I can. think it's recreationally yeah, recreationally right. legal. Yeah, I think you can Except just grow weed now under, safely. I think you probably have to be over 18 or 21. Oh, I'm sure of that. But, but so that being said, like if you want to have pot plants as house plants all around your house, is that okay? I mean, yeah, it's, I think it's okay. But I just am still like I guess we're that transitional generation right now where um how about we just don't have that conversation? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so that's where I think we are right now is um, I don't know. I don't know exactly how it's going to be looked at. I don't know who gets weird about it. Um, on hobby farms and things like that, if it turned – like if we did your loan and it was all – like this would be a really interesting conundrum. Everything about the loan and property was totally up to snuff, and then there was a quarter acre of weed growing out back. Um, I don't know. I'd have to, like, email some investors and find out. Probably call Fannie Mae and say, what's the guidance here? This is uncharted territory. Um, It sounds stressful, to be honest with you. Uh, Anyhow. So, cannabis and mortgages, cannabis and banking, still not very good friends. Um, We're going to do the top of the hour commercial break here. We'll be out for about five minutes. We'll be back for a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters. We hope you stick around. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your host, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Welcome back. Is that the Travel and Wilburys? The Travel and Wilburys. Man, that is an obscure one, huh? I love this song. I Four saw, legends here, actually, too. I was into the Travel and Wilburys in high school, and and after that, like, I feel like none of the people from my generation know the Travel and Wilburys. Actually, five. You familiar? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's uh, Roy Orbison, George Harrison. Um, Tom Petty, Jeff Beck. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, I really like it. 
crazy. Never heard of him. Yeah. Oh. And that was definitely the. I mean, I was into all those guys. Yeah, they all got together for a couple of songs. Or uh, huh. Bob Dylan. This is the fifth one. I feel like you're lucky. Yeah. That I. You can go down this wormhole. Yeah, now, right. Something new. <laughs> go check it out. Yeah. Some old music that'll be new to you and great. No, I think it's a fantastic song. Probably play. Maybe we'll play "End of the Line" coming out of the next one. There you go. So we started the show. You were talking about um, an article you read in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, talked about some different economic indicators that might, you know, clue us into whether a the bull run is over or recessions on the horizon. Sound like there was mixed data. Um, you know, with those six or so indicators. Yeah, if you're just trying to draw parallels to what's going on today and what historically precedes or predicts that market change, um, just trying to see what lines up, what doesn't. Um, this week, you might have caught it, uh, they released Fed Minutes and yep. then a f- couple of the Fed um, board uh, members were out, you know, doing the the tour you know given their yeah their insights on the market i caught the jerome powell at the economic club of washington and i found his comments to be interesting um and and i feel like his comments kind of paralleled the the data that you're suggesting that it's we're at a we're at a point here where the future direction isn't really known that Really, the the takeaway that I had from this discussion at the Economic Club was that, um, you know, there's really not a lot of indicators with economic data that there's a slowdown or that a slowdown's coming in the near term. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was more or less what uh, Fed Chair Powell said, that they just they're not seeing that. But well, the markets are indicating a different story. You know, when you look at how the markets have been reacting lately. Well, you're you're 10 years of this run, right? Sure. So. At some point, I mean, at some point it changes, doesn't it? Obviously. It always does. When and how much, nobody knows. Uh, When could still be two years away, could be four years away. Uh, We have no idea. Um, Yeah, we understand the cycles. We understand um, all of these things that have helped us sort of be able to to prepare and predict when markets change. Um, But... Yeah, when you look at, like, if we look at, we talked about this last week, too, but let's go over it again. The December's job report was crazy. Over 300,000 jobs created, almost doubling expectations. Um, One spot to just put a pin in and stick to the wall, picturing that wall in your bedroom that's got, like, your childhood trophies on it. Boom. The U.S. economy last year had 150 million jobs for the first time ever. That's legit. This is a the jobs market right now is crazy good. Um, The housing market right now. uh, Yeah, I understand we've got affordability concerns and these things that we need to talk about. Um, We need to work on these things. But value wise. Our housing stock is worth more than it's ever been worth. Um, it is truly, uh, we, we're feeling the effects of the supply and demand equation. We also don't have a, a great um, 
a great solution for how to fix that because every time we turn around scarcity of land and labor um the the red tape costs now to build is like mm, if you want to build new houses they're very expensive too and doesn't seem to have an end in sight so housing wise like yeah we need more housing it's expensive because supply and demand's a little bit askew but um the market there is still very strong so you know run on down the line consumer spending's been pretty good uh, inflation is still pretty tame we've got um the feds have moved us to arguably the neutral zone now that's one of the things we're understanding more and more as they get out and talk so we're close to the neutral zone of interest rates and the economy's still kind of clipping along here um and and again, I I like this idea that I've latched onto here recently is likening the all of our attitudes to kind of the crowdsourcing element of the economy is like, well, where are you putting your energy? Are you out lobbying that there's a recession looming and everyone needs to get ready for it? Or are you out lobbying that, hey, guys, the data is not really saying that the data is suggesting that we're we're humming at a pretty good clip and we should all keep enjoying that. Um I think I'm in that camp. Yeah, but I think there's, you know, when you talk about that crowdsourcing or groupthink type of philosophy, no one wants to be late to the recession party. No. You know, you want to you be the early predictor, but not too early. <laughs> so that's, I think that's where you get that jitteriness. That's where you get people starting to skew towards that direction. You know what's funny is um, I had, so we were talking investment stuff earlier. I fought with this nagging feeling for a couple of months when the Dow was at like 26,000. Um, my heart said, why not move all of the market positions to a cash position right now? Um, it's probably correcting from here. And when it does, this, um, the media frenzy, like, and when I say media, I don't necessarily mean the news channels, but I just cell phones, technology, the way that um, everybody's an expert now. Everybody just scrolls through Facebook and has fodder for their argument, just or whatever they're doing. You want to learn how to milk a goat, grab YouTube. We use. <laughs> a cell phone now to tell us how to do everything. Everybody's like, you know, oh, well, do you know, psh, I know that's not true. I just looked it up here on Google while you were talking, and it turns out that, you know, whatever. Um, but these same things are affecting these sort of public sentiments. And so I started thinking, I bet you one of the new norms is going to be bigger swings, uh, early predictions that weren't quite right. Um, run-ups that don't quite last for the same reasons, profit-taking, mass hysteria. Everybody's just a little bit too connected today, I think. So I started thinking maybe the new way to invest is to, um, like, my wife's grandfather was one of the best investors I ever knew. Um, phenomenal investor, right? One of his great advices was buy early, buy often, Try not to ever sell. Just get in. Get in. Get as much in as you can. When things are down, double down and rebuy because the over time it all just goes up. Get your money into investments wherever you can. Um, so I'm, I'm res. I got the angel and the devil on the shoulders, right? And I'm thinking maybe the right thing is to move money to cash. The Dow's at twenty seven thousand. This is kind of crazy. 
Um, maybe you just move to cash for a minute, and then I hear that that voice that says, "Don't be silly." Especially when you're talking retirement accounts, you got twenty or thirty years till that's even it's even valid. And if every t- you're constantly trying to move to cash, how many times you're going to get lucky enough to beat the market? You're not. And but anyways, then the other part, maybe the devil, but maybe the new angel 2.0 is going. Mm, the markets now are too influenced because everyone's paying such attention. Maybe the time is now to hop from cash to not and just ride these waves of um, the people that don't want to be late to the recession party, um, the the sellers and the, the panickers. Yeah, I just I, I subscribe and I think we were kind of describing it to Mike's call earlier. Um, I, I subscribe to what your grandfather said, you know. If you believe in something, if you believe in a company, if you believe in a product, you stick with it. It's going to go up. It always does. We've only ever seen growth in good companies and in the stock market in general. You know, I hear, I I look at your scenario where, gosh, should you have done something when the Dow is at 27,000? Well, in hindsight, man, it would have been brilliant if you did, wrote it down to 22 or 23, whatever this recent low was, and then put it all back in. But but the reality is you might have got that itch, say, around, you know, when it went from 18,000 to 21,000. And if you had popped out then, you would have missed... From 21 to 27. Which is exactly and, why I said being... And you inevitably are going to... Miss, I mean, yeah, you might hit some of those, but you, you're going to miss just at as least many, as probably. Many, right? So I think the only real thing to do is be that you know consistent investor and see opportunities yeah if something if there's a sell off then put more in and that and that was one of the things you know that ultimately the difference is is that you put the money in and you realize that the market fluctuates it goes up it goes down it goes sideways longevity is the key mm-hmm. and that, you know, I mean, and, and also I think that's also similarly is why, um, and again, I, I super appreciate Mike's call, but this is another great reason of why if you're not a big stock guy, don't come out of the woodwork today to buy some cannabis stock, and this is where you're going to launch your investment career. Um, if you want to set up your kids and your grandkids, the reality is... Get into the market as a a diverse investor that's got stakes in a bunch of different things. I think cannabis stock, I mean, you want to have a little fun? Look at the stuff that's a dollar, $2 a share. Buy 300 bucks of that in a Scott Trade account and monkey around with, do, you know, doing a little bit of research, figuring some things out. Things that are not the 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 loss isn't going to be super impactful to your portfolio or life, and and neither is the gain. Um, there's a difference then to if you really want to have a a meaningful impact to your kids and your grandkids. That's just long term investing in a big diverse portfolio of all of the things. Um, and you said it great. You diversify what you buy. You diversify when you buy. Um, my um, my wife's grandfather, Jack, that taught me so much about it, he diversified um, his advisors. Mm. So he had multiple different investment advisors that each had different firms 
that were influenced in doing different things. Usually these guys wrote books and things like that, but um, there's you can continue to diversify into ways where you can really, um, really get out into the market into so many different places. And I think really that's so much better than being – imagine if you were all in the dot-com or you're all in, right. you know – Whatever. Well, you pick it. We've seen these uh, trendy investment things gather attention and then pop. We've got a caller on the line. We've got Greg Astle calling, realtor with Patterson Realty. Hey, Greg. Hey how's it going? Good. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, Year. New Year. Yeah. Good I to hear from you. a couple of observations listening to you uh, prognosticating about where we are at market cycles. And I, I, uh, I, I stopped the other day to realize that I've been doing this now for 41 years. I, didn't, I don't even feel like I'm 41 years old. Man, but, and you just uh, started in elementary school, huh? <laughs> That's kind of scary. But when I arrived here on the Central Coast back in the late 80s, I, I found that there weren't too many local uh, sources for real estate metrics um and i started digging through old mls books and getting average sales prices out of you know mining through these old mls books to get average sales prices for uh quarter after quarter i went back as far as i think the late 60s and started kind of keeping track of things and what i found over the years was that the typical cycle i think at this point um i've probably seen the cycle fully exhaust itself three and a half or four times. And what I found was that the cycles average something like six years. And that's an average, you know. And, of course, the, the upswing that we had between 1996 and 2005 was an anomaly that was nine years of upturn. <clears throat> but when you go back and you look at the, uh, the cycles, it has tended to be six good years, uh, not much of a plateau at the top, and then a drop for something like six years, sometimes a little bit of a plateau of a year, year and a half at the bottom, and then back up again. Um, and another interesting, and if that that being the case, we are arguably at about the six-year point right now in our uh, uh, appreciating years. I think 2012 was the first year that we saw uh, – saw true appreciation. It wasn't much. It was maybe 1% or something like that. But after the, the recession year, 2012 was the first year. Um, but in all the previous cycles, when we were on the upswing, we would exceed the prior cycle's peak by a pretty substantial margin, something like anywhere from 10 to 20%. Uh, being six years into the appreciation side, we're almost at par with the last peak hmm. back in 2005 uh, so or so. 2005. So yeah. your your so, magic eight ball has us needing still to see the market go up 15% to 20% more before we see a correction? Well, I don't know. Uh, you know there's a couple of, <laughs> couple of different sides of the argument there. There's one side that says, hey, you're in six years, it's time to correct, but that hasn't always been absolutely true. Uh, yet, every single cycle that has proceeded, or the ones that I've been aware of, have definitely, the, the peaks have definitely exceeded the previous peak by that margin. So, 
just something to, to ponder. I think we've got so many dynamics at work here. You know, the, the shortage of housing, the increase in population, the interest rates remaining at, you know, record, seemingly record lows. I mean, when I started in this business, first trustees were at 10 and three quarters percent. And everybody thought that was a good deal. So, Craig, when you're, I don't know. I have, when you're describing this right now, one of the the thoughts that just keeps careening around in my mind is as much as I appreciate the prior, you know, analyzation of the prior cycles and, and what that felt like, what that looks like and what that may mean this time. Am I wrong when I, my feeling is like, yeah, but the downturn here was based on factors never before at play. The downturn was sharper than ever seen before. We, at the time, predicted it would take so much more time to recover and bounce back than it did. It was a a weird kind of V-shaped recovery where we we expected a long-term kind of U-shaped recovery. And and so part of me is kind of like to it's it's natural for us. We have this inclination to sort of lay over what we know from previous cycles over this one to try to try to understand what might be next. But I also wonder if it just doesn't fit this time because it's so different. Yeah, Uh, that could very well be the case. And 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 only time will tell. Right. What's that? Only time will tell, right? I mean, we'll... well... Yeah, only time will tell. That's absolutely true. And, you know, it seems like there's there's a motivator. It seems like every time the, the, the market loses its steam, uh, the one common factor is, I mean, there's certainly economic factors as, as the Great Recession. Yep. That whole there is. can of worms. But... The, the the common denominator in all recessions, the real estate recessions, is lock, loss of jobs on the part of the consumer. Yeah, and, you know, and mm-hmm. other and other factors too. But boy, it's when people stop believing in the market. <laughs> yeah, you really see things change. Man, I just watched a Christmas movie, you know, a month ago with my daughter, where the it was the cheer. Um, and like the Christmas spirit that makes the sleigh fly, man, and it feels that <laughs> yeah. way here, right? What? Yeah, elf, elf. Yeah, <laughs> I think all of them have that. Well, there's one thing that I think about with today's housing market, and it's the cost to build new. And when you look at a home on the market today and think about what would it cost to acquire that land and build that same home today, I feel like. The cost to build new supports today's values and will be supportive um, in, in even in the event of a market downturn because the cost to build isn't – I don't see that up. going down. It's going up. So as long as that remains or continues the, tr- the upward trend it's on, that's going to continue to support today's home prices, which really has me in the camp that there is room to still go as far as home appreciation – um, that among many other factors, but that, that one I think is really undeniable. You can't build today's, the home that you see today, an existing home for much cheaper than what it's being offered at. No. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting point. I've got, um, you guys have to go to a break here pretty quick. Yeah, pretty quick. I've got, a, I, I just wanted to do a little plug if I may. You may. Uh, uh, 
I happen to be driving to Napomo right now where I have listed what I think is probably the least expensive piece of real estate in the county. It's a one-bedroom, one-bath condominium uh, right off about a block away from Taft Street. $198,500. Oh, there you go. That's a nice yeah. starter home. And, yeah, and uh, not to not to diminish the work you guys do, but in this particular case, the seller is willing to finance. Oh. Uh, yeah. So, and, and my point is that uh, where else can you, I think the rents on this place, probably something like eleven or $1,200 a month. So if you were to come into a purchase like this with all cash, and you calculated, uh, you know, taxes, uh, homeowners association fees, which in this case are 150 bucks. Your your uh, return would be in the neighborhood of five percent um, if you were capable of buying the thing with cash, and uh, it could probably spill pencil out with uh, financing involved. So it's not uh, shabby. Where else are you going to do that? This in this you know general. Uh, economic climate where can you get that kind of return and have a product that is tangible and a market that's pretty reliable you know? yeah. yeah so you're hosting an open house this weekend is that what you're doing i'm going down to sh- i'm going to show it you're doing to, a showing uh, today a prospect. okay what's the yeah. address of the property just out of curiosity address is 515 grande avenue in napomo this happens to be unit j which is a about 500 square feet, one bedroom, one bath, completely refurbished, refurbished by the owners. And uh, it's a corner unit that shares no common walls, which uh, any of the other condos um, in development. So it's a good opportunity for either a first time home buyer or an investor. Great. Well, hey, Greg, we appreciate yeah. you calling in and sharing that with us and offering your uh, insights on the market. And uh, yeah, hope you have a good showing today. Guys, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me have it. All right. Uh, we'll let Greg go. If you want to get a hold of Greg. 423-SOLD, right? There you go. 805-423-SOLD is the number to get a hold of Greg Astle and uh, learn more about that condo down in Napomo. Um, we have to take a commercial break. Got to give our sponsors a little bit of time. We appreciate Blakesley and Blakesley and Patterson Realty of being longtime sponsors of the show. So we will step aside for just a moment, and we'll be back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending, and I want to thank you for supporting us these past 11 years. We have helped thousands of local residents buy and refinance homes here on the Central Coast, and we couldn't have done it without you. We are sincerely grateful and look forward to serving you for many years to come. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California DBO number 605-4783. NMLS number 328358. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. As a direct VA lender, we specialize in helping the great service men and women of the Central Coast utilize their benefit to purchase and refinance real estate. We thank you for your service and believe it's a distinct honor to serve you. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California DBO number 605-473. NMLS number 328-358. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Jeff Lynn. Jeff Lynn. Yes. So Jeff you were, Lynn, you were thinking Harrison. Of, yeah. You were thinking of Jeff Beck when, from Traffic? Yeah. You're getting some heat on Twitter right now, huh? That's why you think I, that uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Lynn, George Harrison, Tom Petty, Roy Orbison, and Bob Dylan. Ah. There we go. I appreciate that you did that because when you said that, um, yeah. I was like, mm, no, that's not wrong. Jeff Beck, but that would have radically changed the guitar work of the traveling <laughs> there is. Yeah. Anyway, cool. I wasn't going to correct you on the air though. It's yeah, not my well, place. I, you know, I got to make. You know, I got to make make the correction there. I was wrong. As a professional, you know. <laughs> yeah. Your responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Jumping back real quick to. Fed Chair Powell's comments oh, yeah, yeah. at the Economic Club. You know, again, he he was saying that economic data really isn't indicating any kind of economic slowdown and doesn't see the risk of a recession in the near term. Nevertheless, he said that slowing is evident in China specifically for retail spending. Yeah, and we saw that with Apple. Mm-hmm. And then we also saw that with Samsung at the tail end of last week. Samsung said the same thing that they 
I don't think at the time, at least when I was researching this then, they hadn't yet released what their drop in earnings was, but it was expected to be like basically the last couple months of last year they think is going to drive them into about 12% below expectation in earnings. Um, and so there's some guidance all over the place saying if, you're, if your profitability depends on consumers of China, um, you should be careful right which, now. Which probably is a factor for most of the major uh, yeah. companies. Big retailers, especially those brands. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, is that Apple posted um, – Weak demand in China was their primary reason for loss um, or reduction in profits. Um, Samsung said, too, that it was China. And then also they just mentioned competition in the space, um, like in the technology space that they exist in, which I thought, well, that's Apple, right? Yeah. Aren't those two at odds in terms of – I mean – I, I am admittedly an Apple guy, right? I love the Apple products. I have an iPhone. Um, but when you're talking about phones, definitely. Sure. I think they're the two dominant players. But Samsung now, though, I mean, so in the phone world, they're making earbuds just like the AirPods. They're making phones that are, I mean, they their phone almost is called like, it may as well be called the iFan when it comes out <laughs> because it's so close. Uh, they use the X and the XR or the whatever at the same time. They're on the same model every time, right? Yeah. Or very close. Um, but... I have some Samsung appliances in my house. I was going to say, Samsung goes into other electronics, televisions, and audio electronics. They're pretty dominant right now in the appliances. television. And, um, yeah, they're like the the Cadillac of TVs right now. So They've- I was surprised to see them say that there was competition in the space that they were in. Um, the Tesla of TVs. Yeah. <laughs> well, they make great stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, they do. They, they're... And- um, you know, they they are in Costco in a pretty big way now. I mean, Costco almost has Samsung as their preferred ele- electronics after their, uh, you know, what what's the, well, Costco's got some of their own brand thing that you see in there. Vizio, that's what I was trying to think of. Uh, Vizio being like the real entry level stuff and then if you want premium stuff they have samsung stuff and Mm -hmm. so anyhow point being though um china by just sheer population and uh cultural consumerism they're a leading indicator of uh what's to come and the fact that they're seeing softening in the spending over there um that's like a, a leading economic indicator for what we should expect in the total global economy and then trickle on down right into the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's that seems to be um, the one place, right? That's the... That's one of the economic factors that you could report on right now that seems evident. But I also got to wonder, too... Um, sometimes these things are just a blip, right? It's just a little blip on the radar, and it doesn't establish a trend, you know? Seeing some softening, seeing some reduction in profits, seeing some of that stuff. And I understand these guys are good at analyzing that stuff, but I just wonder if it really is um, 
Maybe people are tired of buying $1,000 cell phones. Well, I think the improvements from one generation of electronic to the next are so incremental now. I mean, for a while there, the technology changes from one phone to the next were, I mean, they were radically different. It was like, oh, I have to have that new feature. Now it's like, oh, the the screen is this kind of liquid whatever screen. And you're like, cool. I don't even know what that means. Is it? And the one I'm so holding is better. pretty great. <laughs> I know. The camera's, uh, it's got extra megapixels and does this kind of kind of portrait thing. I'm like, cool. Is that, I mean, do I need this? And do I need it for a thousand bucks? I mean, there was a day not too long ago where you, every two years, you get a new top of the line phone for 200 bucks. And That's for just done. having, and you'd, it, because you were loyal to your carrier, you right. just got a smoking deal on your phone. Yeah, that that whole thing's interesting. Um, I saw this uh, consumer electronics thing was in Vegas this past week. I, I just saw you know video of it. There's a new television that will lower and roll up into a container. Oh, cool! They call so, that yeah. a projection screen, right? Yeah, but it's uh, <laughs> but, but it's uh, the yeah, actual the, TV it's display a screen that lowers and rolls up, but. I mean, when they come on the market, they're going to be like $20,000 right. at first. You know? Just wait but, till your phone is that. It's going to be yeah. this like see-through piece of glass. Crazy. Not even glass, yeah. whatever yeah. moldable, pliable kind of thing. Mm, <laughs> it's probably more likely that you just like you just pop a pill and lay down, and it's just the theater of the mind. <laughs> right. it'll just, it'll be... It's a chip. We're going to chips, man. You're going to have chip. Somewhere on your body, and it's gonna you're gonna be able to communicate with whatever other thing has a chip. You know me, I'm a I'm one yeah, of those guys. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that likes to, um, you know, go against the trends. I want you to know that last night I finished reading a paper book. I there's oh my god nothing better. I only <laughs> read books on paper yeah, because I can't. Great. I stared enough screens in my life. Yeah. And there's something about holding a book and turning the page that just you know feels funny. Right. Yeah. It was a little bit of a relief to me to finish that book because I'm technically doing three books right now. <laughs> um, but in in true form, right? I have I'm doing an audio book because sometimes that's the way to consume for me. I'm the same then, way, man. Right, like right now, I have three computer screens in front of me to run the show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to see a computer sometimes when I'm not here. Yeah, but yeah. I like audiobooks. They're great. They have a place for sure, right? Um, and then, of course, everybody reads things digitally. But also, just a good old fashioned book in your hand is pretty cool. Um, anyway, let's talk about those interest rates, huh? I thought we were going to talk about CPI. Oh, we, I mean, we could do that. I, I'm just sitting here staring at a 2.7 10-year Treasury note telling me that there's probably a 30-year fixed out there right around yes. 4.5%. Um, yeah, as the Germans say, that's, that's Gutenlow. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, the interest rates are down. Um, and Dan, you, you and I talked a little bit about this last week, actually led to a few phone calls too. um, the, the good listenership here of mortgage matters, um, is heeding the advice. 
we got away from talking about refinancing for a while because the market kind of moved to a place where very few people were going to benefit from this. And it's fun because it draws me back into thinking and um, we lived in this world for years. And um, so anyways, I was addressing a room full of realtors this week and one of the realtors said, hey, I want to reach out to my base of customers, people that bought houses a year ago for five and an eighth or five and a quarter um, and see if, you know, should they refi and what do I tell them? And so I said, you know, one of my favorite things to share with people is that, um, you know, the old, this old saying that just comes down like generational folklore is that you got to save a whole point in interest in order for it to be a prudent idea to refi. And, um, so a lot of people think that, by the way. I mean, no doubt people that are listening right now have said, yeah, that's what I've heard, and those are rules to live by. And, um, you know, the true to most of these things that survive generations like that, that get handed down as sage advice from the elders, um, in this case, we need to strip apart a couple pieces of it and talk about um, number one is... The idea at the heart here is a very good one. Really, the point of this advice is don't go refinancing if the monthly savings, if the interest that you're going to save um, isn't beneficial compared to the cost that it takes to refi. And um, anybody that's advertising a no-cost refi or some nonsense like that is not being honest. There's a cost to refinance always. Um, and generally in this kind of market, you're going to pay that cost either out of pocket or by adding a couple 3000 bucks to your loan amount. So when we look at that, if we do an evaluation on you and you can save 30 bucks a month, but the cost is $3,000, that's not very good. That's a hundred months it takes of saving that 30 bucks to make back that $3,000. That's not a good return on investment, is it? Um, Dan, you've lived in your house now for 15 years. Yep. Are you going to live there in 10 years? I I don't know, but it looks that way. So maybe. Yeah, maybe. Strong maybe. Strong maybe. Um, I don't. I am not even a strong maybe. I'm not attached to my house the same way. Um, man, I, I, I really don't know. And now we have like, now I have a four bedroom house because I needed to put my three kids kind of in their own room as they're through this piece of life. I don't see myself needing a house that size going forward. Um, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Anyways, my point is let's talk about you, the potential refi person here. Are you really likely to be in your house for 10 years? And most of us can't say with certainty that we really are. Um, and we know that um, that's just that's a that's a far out place in the future to have to base this math on. Okay, you don't want to spend three thousand bucks today to save thirty bucks a month for the next hundred months. That's not smart. Um, now, would you spend three thousand bucks today to save three hundred bucks, bucks? <laughs> eighty bucks, a hundred bucks? 
Um, and now, we, yeah, you get to 100 and it starts to, you're starting to well, now pique we're at, my interest. Yeah, we're at 30 months. We're at two and a half years to break even on that. I'm going to be in my house for two and a half years. Um, so, okay, you got me. I'll listen. Um, but two and a half years, I'm just breaking even. So I feel like I really need to be there for five years, right? Get me on equal footing. I'm going to pay you up front to earn back my money over two and a half years. So the next two and a half, I win, right? So that's how I look at it. And this is how I explain it to my clients. Um, We're going to look at your situation, what your savings is, and what your cost is. We're going to do that divisor and figure out how long it takes you to break even. And that tells us whether or not we're a go once we align that with what you expect your most reasonable path forward is. See how it's not a one-size-fits-all? See how you can't just apply this, we need to save a whole point. Um, And so I want to circle back to that's where I began. I I really appreciate the idea here um, in that comment, that, that generational sage wisdom that says you need to save enough to make the cost worth it. That's what they mean. Um, but don't forget when grandpa told dad that, and dad told you that grandpa was talking about a $40,000 mortgage and man, lowering the interest rate a quarter of a percent on a $40,000 mortgage really isn't that meaningful. Five bucks a month. Oh, (laughs) if right. Yeah. But then lowering the mortgage, um, a quarter of a point, you know, on a $400,000 mortgage, that might be some meaningful savings. That could be a hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the loan balance definitely impacts right. how this all works. So out. again, the spirit is right. The number, the whole point thing, that's not right anymore. Maybe because... we need to revive. Maybe we need to update that saying for the generations going forward. Maybe it needs to be something like, you know, the, the break even point of your refinance needs to be halfway uh, that the halfway point or better of how long you expect to be in the home. See how it just doesn't roll off. It your doesn't. Tongue the it same? really doesn't. That was yeah. hard to say. That was hard to say. <laughs> and you know the the bottom line is um, it. I and this is the part that I really just want people to understand is that um, we're asking you just to appreciate the relationship between. The cost and benefit and don't get duped by some stupid ad or some company that doesn't care about you as much as they care about making money. Um, Make sure you understand that logic and walk through it. Now, something complicates that a little bit here. and, And let's talk about this is that sometimes there are other factors at play. Maybe a series of things that you couldn't quite have prepared for have left you in a spot where you have $15,000 on an American Express card. Um, Gosh. Paying the minimum payments, that's a 35-year repayment or something. Um, And if you work for the county and your income is pretty stable and pretty predictable and you also know that your car is nearing its last leg and there you have a kid getting ready for college and there's just things that have got you overwhelmed and looking at that credit card balance without a real clear path forward of how to take care of it, um, well, let's look at that too. Um, what's it look like if we lower your interest rate by a quarter or a half a point 
and we raise your loan amount by 15000 bucks to take care of that credit card, um, maybe the payments come out of wash, but we solve a problem that's causing you to have an ulcer. You know what I mean? And I want to be real clear is that I am not a big proponent of people taking equity out of their home to pay off debts and uh, do these kinds of things that, where they have other options or where it's not. Um, it's just not the best thing to do. Sometimes it is the best thing to do. Um, so if there's things like that going on, those can be weighed into the analysis too. That moves us a little farther away from the just the pure logic of when do you break even because it's hard to put a real price tag on those other things like taking care of some debt consolidation or, or solving a problem like that. Sometimes the refinance savings isn't in the monthly payment it's in the total interest saved on your mortgage Um, and what i'm talking about is the person who's owned their home and had their mortgage for a few years five ten years but their financial situation has changed during that time maybe they've they've got that promotion they've had that job um, that that pay raise and they have more disposable income but they still have 25 you know, 20 to 25 years left on their mortgage, maybe the the real opportunity is to move down into a 15-year mortgage. Your payment might even be the same or higher slightly than what you have today, but you can afford it because your income level's changed. But the, the savings is going to be in that total interest over the life of the loan. Those, uh, those two amortization schedules side-by-side side are... Um, they'll cause you some internal sensations that you probably haven't felt before. A 30-year fixed, like say we take a $300,000 30-year fixed, at the end of its life, the total of all payments is about six hundred grand. It's almost double. Um, when you look at a 15-year, that $300,000 15-year fixed will be like $400,000. So you could save 60% of the interest. And so... You know, and oftentimes you have people that are like, well, I do the 30-year fix because I don't want a $3,000 a month house payment, right? And I get that. But one of the reasons you don't want it is because you're putting $350 a month into your um, your IRA, right? You're doing rainy day fund. Maybe you have a car payment um, and some other just non-essential fund because your budget is structured in a way that that allows you that. Um, if you just go through the math and you come down to it and say, Hey, look, I could do the, I could do the 15 year loan and yeah, the payments a lot more. I have to readjust a few things and I won't even be able to contribute as much to the IRA. Uh, the IRA over that 15 year period at the, the, uh, money that you're putting (laughs) into it, you're not making up 200 grand there, not at 300 bucks a month. So that's an interesting thing is that sometimes just avoiding that interest cost might be more beneficial to you. Um, And, you know, the other thing about that, too, is not only saving interest, but um, somebody that's out there, you know, you're a good example for me. You're driving in your car right now. I'm talking to you. You're 40 years old. You're a plumber, whatever. You're a worker, self-employed guy. You're 40 years old. And... You'd love to be done working by the time you're 55, right? You know what your greatest likelihood is of being done working by the time you're 55? Paying off your house. 
Uh, most of us are going to have to work until our house is paid off. Us self-employed folk, that's a, that's a big part of it, right? Definitely. I need to get that nailed away. Um, before then, I mean, what's your Social Security going to be? 1600 bucks a month? 2200 bucks a month if you really kill it and you're lucky? Uh, we don't see much beyond that, right? So um, if you're self-employed, paying off your house is going to be a pretty big priority. So um, my point is I want to partner with you on that plan. Um, if you want to look at that, come up with a game plan. It may not even lead to a loan today or a change in a loan today or anything like that. Um, but let's figure that out. That's what we do. We're good at that. Um, just walk you through the path and facilitate a conversation to help you figure out if you're doing the right things, should you be doing something else? Um, do you need to refi? Should you refi? Um, if you have mortgage insurance, this is a great time to, to hop in and explore that. Um, if you have an FHA loan that's five years or less in age, you have life of loan mortgage insurance. So um, did you know that? Uh, I talked to a couple last week who didn't even know that they had life of loan mortgage insurance. They just wanted help on seeing how they could make it go away. And I was like, oh, you guys put 3.5% down. It never goes away for you. As sad as that is, it never does. And these people were bummed because they could have put more down. Um, bottom line is they need to refi. So, um you know, if you have mortgage insurance, if you have an FHA loan, if you're struggling with some debts you might need to consolidate, if you're self-employed and want to figure out how to pay your house off sooner to retire sooner, any of those things, um, that's what we're doing every day. So we're and we're ready for you. Um, one number rings all of our offices. We can meet you anywhere. Um, we're at five four three loan and. I think the the cool thing to do is just to um, sit down and have the conversation, walk through all of the options and figure out where you're at. Uh, and, and truthfully, a lot of the times what we do is we end up telling people, oh, no, you're in a good spot. You got, you, you got a loan at the right time and you're good hanging out. You should just keep on doing what you're doing. Other times we'll have people come in that, you know, they can save two or 300 bucks a month and – uh, that might be a game changer for you is to to re redo your loan at a lower rate, reset the clock on that 30 years and kind of get everything in a spot where you're um, doing it right. We also help people qualify to buy homes. Uh, first time home buyers, experienced homeowners, we help them all. Um, we would love to help you get pre-qualified. Uh, we have an underwriter on staff who sits in our Paso Robles branch. And they're able to get you fully underwritten, fully pre-approved, so you can make very aggressive offers in what's still a competitive market and get you that home, get your foot in the door um, of owning a home in this beautiful part of California. And we love, uh, we love helping people with that process and walking them through, understanding what to expect during the process and make it as... Uh, stress-free as, as it can be. It's always a little bit of a stressful transaction, but we, you know, we prepare buyers for the different parts of the process and what to expect and make it as easy as it can be. Um, again, one number rings every office. It's 805-543-LOAN. That's 805-543-5626. You can start the application process on our website, 
go to centralcoastlending.com, click the Apply Now button, and there's a secure loan application. All your information's protected, um, and uh, it's a great way to start the loan process and begin that pre-approval process so that we have a little bit of basic information on your financial situation. Uh, we hope you'll take advantage of all those services. And if not, you'll have had a conversation with some some nice folks here and, and know right where you stand. So thanks much for being with us today. We'll be back next week with another live episode of Mortgage Matters. Stay safe and dry out there.